if you don't tell me to do it, then it is your fault that it didn't get done. And if you do tell me to do it, then it's your fault that it didn't go right. Have you ever heard these words or experienced these attitudes? Covert narcissists are so good at dodging responsibility. I used to wonder why he wouldn't even choose the restaurant for our dinner. And many years later, I discovered that he wouldn't choose so that nothing could ever be his fault. You know, I used to think, why will he not make the plans for our vacation? Why will he not make some decisions about where we go or what we do? And yet he would be so mad at me for the plans that I made. Or if anything, anything, the tiniest little thing went wrong. He would not make the plans. So then nothing could ever be his fault. But yet he was mad at me because everything was my fault. He didn't help with the chores around the house because he didn't want to do it wrong and make me mad. So he just did nothing. And in his mind, I could not be mad at him because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. Well, he didn't do anything wrong because he didn't do anything. Blame shifting is a common weapon for a covert narcissist. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you for joining us here today. I hope you are having a wonderful day. I hope that, you know, you are on a strong path of healing in this world where where so many people are suffering from covert narcissistic abuse. So thank you for being here today. Uh, If you have not yet joined my Facebook group, we have a closed Facebook group, Covert Narcissism Group. And we also have a new platform. It's called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com. Uh, Go on there, look up Covert Narcissism, and you will find me. And it's a new platform where I can get material to you, to my audience, uh, material that's going to be starting in January. It's going to be a biweekly tidbit, a tidbit of healing and and eye-opening awareness for people who are suffering from covert narcissistic abuse. So jump on there now. Go ahead and get a hold of that. Um, Right now, it's a very, very small cost. Uh, It may go up down the road, so I can't make any promises there. So I hope you can come over and join me. Now, I will never forget you know, lots of things that happened in my marriage as I start to say this, but, but there's one day I definitely will never forget. And it's the day my husband asked me for a code word. Now, let me explain what I mean. We actually already had a code word in our home for if there was an intruder or, you know, if you were, if you were under threat in the house. And this was a code word that, that I knew my husband knew my boys, both our boys both knew And we had this word, so if I was ever on the phone with my husband or one of our boys and that code word got used, then they knew that there was trouble. They knew that there was danger and and that we needed help. It was a safety against that danger. And this makes sense. I hope that, you know, if you have kids in your home that, that you use this, or even if it's just adults, it's still a good choice. Well, that's not the kind of code word my husband was asking me for. Let me describe this scene to you. So we were 15 years into our marriage. And, and of course, we had had many disagreements, hurt feelings, upset moments, and so on over all the years. And, and marriages go through this. You know, I, I, one of my justifications for staying in the marriage as long as I did was, well, every marriage has their issues. And I told myself that for, you know, 15 years, way too long. But it was, it was an excuse in my mind. Every marriage goes through this. Well, we never reconciled. And that's the piece that took me a long time to learn that that, that is not normal that we never reached a point of genuine understanding and and growth as a couple, just really truly being able to be vulnerable to each other. 
He never validated how I felt, and he never did that with our boys either. And so these hurt feelings just continued to pile up over all these years. And over the years, I had tried so many different ways to tell him, you know, that how much his way of interacting with us hurt. I repeated back to him what had happened and, and how it had made me feel or made our boys feel. I had tried explaining, you know, his exact words, tone of voice, his sentiment. I gave him countless examples because he gave me countless examples to choose from. You know, this happened over and over, as you know, if you are in a relationship with a covert narcissist. And I tried every different angle I could think of. I would do this, you know, at waiting until things calmed down. And then I would try to talk to him, like maybe that night in the bedroom. And that didn't work. So I would try even within the hour. I'd say, okay, let me let me not wait quite so far because he would remember things differently later than I did. And he would tell me, well, that never happened. So I thought, okay, let me wait. Let me do it when it's closer. So within an hour. And I tried that. That didn't work. I tried waiting, you know, a little longer, maybe give it a couple more extra days and then talk to him. I even tried talking to him in the heat of the moment. I tried everything that I could think of. And by the way, in the heat of the moment, that one really did not work. But nothing, nothing worked. Nothing ever worked. He would deflect everything that I was saying. He would tell me how I had misunderstood him. He would tell me that, you know, I didn't say it that way or I didn't say this. And he would tell me how I had caused the problem long before he ever spoke. You know, I was already, I was already upset because of something you said. And every single time there was always a reason why what he did was right and what I did was wrong. Every single time. He would never understand how he had hurt us. He would never acknowledge it. And on more than one occasion, he had even told me, if, if you can't explain to me how I'm hurting you so much in words that I can understand, then how can it possibly be my fault? And he would tell me that and I would work so hard then, okay, I got to find the right words to put it in and I would work even harder. And this was going on for years. You know, if, if it's if it's not, if he can't understand what I'm saying, then how can it be his fault? Well, it isn't his fault because he's not getting it. Or is it, it's, it's my fault because it was the magic, I, because I couldn't find the right magic words to say. And, and in one of these extremely frustrating conversations I was having with him, these circular conversations, he actually said to me, well, what if we try this? What if we have a code word? You know, that part in me that was so eager to help and fix this actually kind of reacted first. And inside my mind, I thought, okay, maybe we could try that. Maybe that would work. But the other part of me screamed and it screamed louder. What? A code word? Are you serious? What are you talking about? And so that's the part that actually spoke then in that moment and said, what are you talking about? A code word. And he said, yes, a code word. Then when I'm talking mean to you or to the boys, you can say this code word, and I will then have an immediate example of what you mean. A code word. Are you kidding me? What about all the words that I've been saying all these years? What about words like, hey, it really hurts when you say this? Or what about words like, hey, it hurts the boys when you talk to them that way? Aren't those kind of code words to say, hey, you need to self-reflect here? If you're not willing to listen to any of those words, what in the world makes you think that you're going to listen to a code word? What do you mean? Like the word peach? I just sit there and go, peach? And that's supposed to magically fix this? You know, I could see it now. We're in, you're in the middle of verbally abusing our kids. And, and I stand there saying, peach. 
and all of a sudden he's going to instantly stop and self-reflect and analyze openly and fairly what's going on and and magically understand what I've been talking about for years, this is going to make it all better? You know, if stop abusing our poise doesn't work, what in the world makes you think that the word peach is going to work? And not only this, when I really thought about it longer, like we kind of walked away from that conversation, but when I thought about it later, I thought not only is this not going to work, it's also going to keep all of the responsibility on my shoulders yet again. And I almost fell for it all over again. I almost took the bait. It would be me that had to monitor all this. It would be me that had to watch for it to make sure I could tell, because he wasn't going to put any effort into it. So it would be me that had to make sure I timed it right, right, you know, wait for just that right moment, and that I was going to have to be completely able to explain this. I, I could hear it now. You know, he's in the middle of whatever whatever rage he's going into, and I say, Peach, <laughs> it's laughable. He would just explode at me. I'm not being abusive, angry, or attacking while yelling at me. And, and then he might turn to the kids and go, well, do you think I'm being mean right now? And out of fear, of course, they would say no. And then he would turn to me, see, they don't think I'm mean. I could see all of this playing out. It already played out a thousand times, but never with the word peach. You know, or what if I didn't say the code word because it just, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's not going to work. And so I talk with him later, but then later he's going to say, well, how was I supposed to know that I was hurting them? You didn't say peach. <laughs> and so, you know, it's your fault that they got hurt. You should have said peach and then I would have stopped. Yeah, right. Everything would simply stay my fault. That was no different than things already were. Covert narcissists avoid risk intensely. You see, no risk means that they cannot be blamed. They ain't going to let you make all the decisions. I mean, kind of in their weird roundabout way, when they snap and go ahead and make a decision, it's going to be because they've already blamed you on all the wrong decisions. And so they're going to let you make all these decisions and they can even appear to be cooperative and easygoing. Well, you know, how can you be mad at me when I, I'm, I let you make all these decisions? But in reality, they're setting you up for their backlash. They're going to find the tiniest fault in whatever happens, whatever gets decided, because they find fault in everything. And so while you have made the decision, okay, you, you did the work and you may, you know, have taken uh, the risk of making that decision, they're going to spend the entire time undermining you. They're going to make you doubt your decision because they're going to make these little comments that undermine your confidence. Of, well, are you sure you want to do it that way? And then when you start to question it, they'll go, oh, no, no, I'm not questioning it. I just want to make sure that you're sure about what you're going to do so that, you know, we don't have to change it later or whatever. They're going to mock you. They're going to tell everyone else how bad of a decision it is. And, and they're going to express, you know, how they could they could make such a better decision, but yet they won't do it. You know, you, no, 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 no. This one's your decision to make. I'll stay out of the way. And yet they're going to undermine you the entire way. So you are under constant pressure to make perfect decisions. They won't decide anything because in their mind, you're not blaming this on me. You know, I, you're not going to, this isn't my fault. They won't decide anything, but yet they expect perfection from you. And, you know, I hear this from victims often. And, and one of the things where it plays out is uh, trying to find a therapist. You know, if you've started talking to your partner 
about the abusiveness, the, the abusive behavior that you see, often something will come up of like you, the victim, are asking them, would you please go to a therapist? Would you go talk to somebody about this? And, and that's a whole nother can of worms and it's a whole nother issue, but I know a lot of people take that approach. And then what ends up happening is, you know, oftentimes if they finally reach that point, they, they realize you're going to leave, then the abuser will say, okay, fine, then find a therapist for me and I'll go. Well, this is no different than the whole code word example. You as the victim, being a compassionate person, being an empathetic person, you want to help out. So you go, okay, maybe there's progress here. You're also a hopeful person. Maybe this will do it. So, okay, I'm going to find him a therapist. I'm going to find the perfect one. And, and you want to help. I, I, I really should help out with this. He finally said yes. And so you want to help out. And I'm telling you right now today, no, do not help with that. As we have talked about, many victims of covert narcissistic abuse are compassionate, empathetic people. And they're willing to go that extra mile for the other person. They're willing to do more than their share of the work. They're willing to carry more of the responsibility. And covert narcissists take advantage of this over and over and over. And you finding that therapist for them plays right into their hands. They constantly put all the responsibility on the shoulders of their victims. This is purely intentional because it keeps all of the responsibility off of them. It puts them into a position where nothing can ever possibly be their fault because they didn't do anything. Well, I didn't pick that therapist. Why? It's not my fault that I'm going to this therapist. You know, if you find a therapist for them and things don't get better, which I'm going to tell you right now, things won't get better this is bound to happen because they're still looking for ways to undermine you. They're still looking for ways to make everything your fault. They're still playing these games. Just because they go to a therapist, those games are not going to stop. And, and so when things don't get better, they can say, well, you're the one who told me to go see them. I'm just doing what you said. And if you don't go find a therapist for them, well, then they're mad. Well, you won't even help me. So that's on you. If you're not even willing, you're not even willing to take that step and help me find a therapist, then how in the world am I supposed to help, you know, get make this better? How am I supposed to, to do this when you won't help me? You know, that they can even say that after you've spent all this time trying to explain to them how they're hurting you and they, they still, you can't put it into words that I can understand. They don't try to understand. They don't want to get it because if they get what you're saying, then they have to take ownership for some of the, the, the responsibility and the blame for the pain that they have caused. They have to take ownership, which they cannot do because they cannot become vulnerable. They can't handle that. And not only do they have to take ownership of it, then they have to take responsibility to fix it or to change or to improve, to get healthy, to grow. And they cannot do that. You know, this is a full-grown adult. And they are the ones asking you, will you find a therapist for me then? They are very capable of doing this themselves. You know, you can help them with their laundry, fixing dinner, giving them a ride, etc. But don't do this. Don't go find that therapist for them. If they want to get help, they need to be the ones to do that Google search, to start reading about the therapist. They need to be the ones to set the phone calls, to, to make the phone calls, to put some effort into it. One of the biggest issues with covert narcissists is they find all the ways to not put any effort into anything. 
they must figure this out. They must do every step of it and take ownership of it. Otherwise, this is just another one of your problems, not theirs. And it will stay that way as long as you are the one doing the work, taking the responsibility. You will continue to be the one to take the blame. If you are listening to this podcast today, stop taking the blame for their faults. Stop taking responsibility for their stuff. You are not doing them or yourself or your children any favors. They have to live their life. They have their life to live and they have to own their own crap. They got to answer for their own stuff. They got to answer for their own faults, just like anyone else in this world. Don't let them lay this on your shoulders any more. You know, if, if they're trying to tell you, you need to rephrase kind of what you're hearing here. When they tell you again and again and again, well, I didn't mean to hurt you. You need to realize that they don't mean to not hurt you. And there is where the problem lies. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you.